All right, we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tonight. So, you know, last week uh, we were talking about veils, right? Removing veils, things that separate us from God and what He intends for our life. And that when we remove these barriers, these veils between us and God, what happens is what we call sanctification. Uh, you see the glory of God and through that process you become more and more like Christ. Well, tonight we're going to really talk a little bit about the journey of sanctification. You know, that to become something really means to change, right? So to become more and more like Christ means you're going to change over time. You're going to grow. Stephen Furtick has a, a message that he preaches when he talks about, he says, you're going to move from here to there. That's what happens. I don't do it nearly as good as Stephen does it. But it's a great, powerful message talking about the movement that occurs when you grow in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. But if anybody's on that journey, and I hope everybody in here is, you know that it's not always easy, right? It's not easy. Sometimes it can be hard. You know, there's a lot of people that walk down that aisle, uh, not as many as there needs to be, but they'll go down and they'll have that encounter with Jesus and then... They'll be on fire like Jared says in the beginning, but then something just happens. And they fall away because it's hard. Sometimes they lose heart, you know, and give up, right? That's another word for losing heart. So we're going to talk about that tonight. And I was trying to think of illustrations and uh, to the horror of my wife, I'm not a great reader. Uh, I still hold the record, I think, or at least I'm tied for it, that I've made it through law school, through undergrad and through law school without ever reading a book. That's impressive, right? It's hard to do. I worked hard. Toward the end, it was very tempting, but I held out. I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to give up that record. And I don't even really watch a lot of movies, to be honest with you. So I have a hard time coming up with things. Really, all I do is work, study God's Word, and prepare for the class, which is a great blessing, but it doesn't always make for necessarily a well-rounded person. So I had to pull my illustrations from the past. So I was thinking about difficult and overcoming obstacles and difficult surroundings and circumstances. And, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was a movie, Castaway. Everybody see, anybody ever seen the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks? Well, I was surprised when I uh, went and looked it up and realized it was from 2000, 17 years ago. It's like one of the last movies that I really remember. Seventeen years has gone by that fast. Well, if you remember the story, okay, it was Tom Hanks plays a guy named Chuck Nolan, and Chuck works for FedEx, right? And he's on a plane that crashes in the Pacific Ocean, and he gets washed ashore in a raft, uh, and he's on this deserted island. And he stays there for over four years, and with him washes up these FedEx boxes that he opens them up and finds different things in there. So I think a pair of ice skates that he uses, if you remember, to crack open the coconuts. I mean, think about it. That's a pretty good thing to get if you're on a deserted island and some ice skates. You can cut things, stab things. So he used that for a lot of different purposes. And he came, he had a volleyball that was Wilson. Remember Wilson? He got blood and put his, all the, the, made a face and he talked to this thing, Wilson. But he went through a lot on this island, right? I mean, if you remember that show, he had a lot of sleepless nights in that cave, you know, with just a small flashlight for a long time, and he learned how to, to, to catch fish, to eat fish. He even learned how to build a fire without any matches. You remember when he did that, it was like, 
you know, this miracle, really, the rubbing two sticks together. I think about that in life all the time. I feel like I'm rubbing two sticks together to try to create a fire sometimes. But he went through a, a whole bunch of different things. He, the one thing that I still remember is when he had to pull his own tooth. He was trying to use those ice skates, remember, because he had the, the, the cavity. Still, to this day, makes my, my mouth hurt. And eventually, he got off of this island. He had a raft, and he had a piece of the, uh, the commode, uh, the, the, the door from the plane that had washed ashore. And he used this to create like a sail that took him over the wave, because there was a big wave that he could never get past that got him out into sea. And then when he was out at sea, he was just rowing and rowing and rowing like he was rowing to nowhere. So eventually, he was rescued. But he overcame so many different things and obstacles as he was living here on this uh, deserted island for these four years. And when I was reading also recently in the paper, that is the one thing that I do read is the, the daily paper, which is getting worse and worse to read. But I saw another sea story recently about three guys from Texas that uh, set out to row across the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know if anybody saw this story, but they were trying to set a record to, to row a three-man rowing team to go from North Africa to the Caribbean, 3,000 miles across the Atlantic Ocean, and it was the same path that Christopher Columbus sailed over 500 years ago, and they did this to set two re records, to be the first three-man team to row this path and to do it the fastest, and they accomplished both. They did it in this little 22-foot boat. I mean, can you imagine going across the Atlantic on this 22-foot boat? And they had some beautiful, calm weather, uh, like on the island that Tom Hanks enjoyed, but boy, did that change quickly. I mean, they got out in the middle of this, of this ocean, and it says that they had 60-mile-per-hour sustained winds and rain and fog and hail. So they were tossed around in that ship like a ping-pong ball. Uh, one of them said it felt like it was in a washing machine, and their comment about... Uh, being at sea in the night and the storms and the rain, as one said, it was the, the darkest moment of my life. The darkest moment of my life. And they felt uh, hunger and, and pain and sleep deprivation. One of them lost 30 pounds. That'd be one way to do it, I guess. But 48 days after they started, in the darkness, they sailed across the finish line. And the first tweet was simply, we did it. First trio in history to row the Atlantic. I guess that's great, if that's what you want to do. But they encountered so many different things along this path. And, you know, when I was preparing for this and thinking about these illustrations, I was just thinking about it. That's what sanctification and the journey of sanctification sometimes feels like. In my life, at least it does. You know, having to overcome obstacles, you know, difficult times. Um, it's not always easy. You know, it's a similar journey uh, that you see that Chuck Nolan went on in this island or these three rowers who are going across the Atlantic Ocean. And that's a little bit about what this chapter is about tonight. So if you look in chapter 4, the very first part of it and the very first word is therefore. It's a transitional word. Okay, And I'm sure in the context of this letter and for this chapter, okay, this is, this is the Apostle Paul really transitioning from where he was at in chapter 3 to this. He's saying, listen, okay, now all right, you've seen the glory of God, the veils are down, the process is starting, but hey, there's going to be some tough road ahead. The seas are not always going to be calm and pretty. There's going to be some pain mixed in there. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're on a deserted island. Sometimes you're going to feel like it's dark around you. 
Sometimes you're going to feel like, like I do sometimes, like you're rubbing two sticks together to create a fire, just trying to figure out what's going on. All right, there's going to be times of pain, like you're pulling teeth, drifting, fighting to survive, rowing endlessly, not knowing really where you're going, right? Hungry, tired, sick. We all go through lots of difficulty and lots of emotions on our journey with Christ. And it can be very hard, but listen, and Satan, one of the reasons it's hard is because, as Jared was talking about, Satan's number one mission in life is to knock you off of this journey, to trip you up, make you believe that there really is no hope. So I, I think this entire chapter, if you, if you had to just sum it up, is there in the beginning in the verse 1 where he says, we do not lose heart. Man, if you had to think about one thing on your journey, it would be that. Not to lose heart, not to ever give up. You know, I was looking across the, the Bible for similar stories, similar charges, and I came across 2 Chronicles 15, and you write it down, verses 1 through 7, and go back and look at it. And in that, in that passage of Scripture, it's a very similar charge of, of not giving up, having courage, and seeing God's reward at the end when you don't. Uh, if you go, when, when you read that, you'll see that, that there's, a, there's a, a man named Azariah, and he's speaking to King Asa. And, and when he's speaking to him, he's speaking for God. And if at the beginning of that passage it says, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah. Salvation. It's a great picture of salvation, right? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And he went to the king, the king of Judah at that time, Asa, and he said, listen, if you follow God, he will never forsake you. And this was a time when there was no peace, it says. There was nothing but distress and difficulty and destruction and war. All right? There was no peace. And he said, if you follow God, he will not forsake you. And at the end, God, speaking through Azariah to King Asa, says, listen, do not be discouraged. Do not be weak of hand. It could be, do not give up. All right? Do not lose heart. Because God's going to reward you for your work. And this is what Paul's really giving in this chapter, is a similar charge. All right, to do not lose heart, to do not give up. And after he, he drives this stake in the ground that says, do not give up, do not lose heart on this journey, then what he does for the rest of the passage is what he does often in his writings is he then tells you a little bit about his journey, about his journey of sanctification and what he's going through. So what I want us to do is read the chapter, and I want somebody to read it for me. I want to get some participation. So who's got an ESV Bible that wants to read it for me? Anybody? Darren's. Nobody has an ESV Bible anymore? Golly. William, you want to read the thing? Holy macaroni. There you go. You want to come up here and read it? Can you see it in that Bible? You want my glasses? So I want you to read all of chapter 4. You're going to have to hold this, okay? Do you want my Bible? Is it easier? This one? No? Okay. Therefore, having the mini this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanding ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we will command ourselves to everyone's conscience. Conscious. Conscious. 
conscious in the, everyone's conscious in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, 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 it is veiled, veiled, and to those who are perishing in their case of God, you may take over. <laughs> in their case, the God of this world, you're going fine. Keep going. In their case of God of this world of blind their mind of the unbelievers to keep them from from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is, for what we proclaim is ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said that light shine out of darkness, He has shown our in our our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this passing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it all for for it is all for your sake, so that as grace expands to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart through our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day for the light momentary affliction is preparing for us an internal weight of the glory beyond all comparison as we look not to be the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen and trained and transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. That's awesome. That was awesome, man. I lost my job. That's good. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. All right, so I want to give us five things that we can pull out of this that, that we can learn from that may help us on our journey of sanctification. The first one is there in verse 1, never forget the mercy of God. Never forget the mercy of God. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose, ho- lose heart. We have no chance without God's grace and mercy, do we? It's the only way. There's no other way we can make it. If you remember, um, whenever uh, Chuck Nolan was in that cave and on that island, he was focused. He had that watch that Kelly, his fiance, that he was with that gave him. Do you remember that watch? He just always looked at that watch. He was focused on that watch. That's the way we need to be focused on God and His grace and mercy in our lives. 
Can't take your eyes off of it. Can't forget about it. And for some, this is easier said than done, you know. Um, I know it was in my life. We, we tend to, if we're not careful, we'll reduce our um, sanctification down to a checklist. You know, read your Bible, quiet time, prayer. We all can fall into that trap, right? But sanctification, like we talked about last week, is a gift. It's a gift from God, just like salvation, all right? Nothing we can do to earn it. He gives it to us freely. This was hard for me, I will tell you, in my life. And uh, as I was thinking about this, I pulled out, I wasn't going to read this, but I'm going to. I pulled out something that I did uh, almost now nine years ago, all right, eight and a half years ago. And we were, uh, I had a little small uh, Bible study that I was in at the time. And what we all did, everybody in that, all we, although we had two or three that quit the Bible study to keep from having to do this and never came back. <laughs> we basically, if you've you ever heard of the screw tape letters, Okay, so you remember Screwtape was the senior demon, and he was always writing, C.S. Lewis, he was always writing to Wormwood, one of the lower level, and, and they were always trying to figure out how to, to, to knock Christians off of this journey, if you will. You know, try to win them back over to the enemy. So what we did is, we came up with an exercise that, where Screwtape was writing a letter to Wormwood about you. What would he say? How would he address that? So I thought it was funny, I pulled this back out. Like I said, over eight years ago is when this was written, all right? About eight years ago, seven and a half. It says, Dear Mr. Wormwood, you have a complicated subject. Boy, Aaron will attest to that. <laughs> but also one that is really pretty simple to attack. On the one hand, he is completely sold out for the enemy. That's be God. I do, truly, I do believe he truly loves the enemy and wants to build a relationship with him. However, on the other hand... The subject is so haunted by his thoughts, his failures, his past, his need for control, and his self-reliance that he struggles to accept what the enemy has freely given him, grace. You see, it's almost impossible for this subject to accept grace. So he constantly judges his relationship with the enemy by his works. He measures his faith by his expected outcome, and he punishes himself for perceived failures. And on this front, the enemy has helped us a ton. The enemy's Bible is filled with rules and standards and models that our subject has absolutely zero chance of living up to. He gets so bogged down in this, he completely misses the grace that is offered by his enemy. Oddly, this subject exhibited great intellect and reasoning when he worked for us, but now he seems to be completely confused. He really has no idea how to live out his Christian life in his old world. Our subject... Our success with this subject over the past decades is definitely paying off. He spent so much time on our side that he is a fish out of water now. I might also add that we have been helped greatly by the destruction we have caused in the world, especially the business and financial world. The subject's repeated failures make him constantly feel that he is out of the enemy's will or not being good enough to be called a Christian. Again, back to him, his efforts, his work, exactly where we want him. The subject doesn't believe he knows how to win, how to find equilibrium, or how to be content. It's just a perfect situation for us. Now, unfortunately, I don't think we can ever win this subject back over to our side, but we have a good opportunity to neutralize him. We simply focus on keeping him marred in confusion and depression and a sense of failure. We have to encourage him to overthink everything, replace his relationship with the enemy with his lifetime struggle to find his faith. 
And whatever we do, we have to make sure he never figures out how to redirect what made him a success for us into a success for the enemy. This would be a disaster. If he ever gets close, just lead him down that intellectual path to make to the enemy or make him think it is about him. Since the enemy himself makes it clear that he can never live up to the enemy's example or earn the enemy's favor, this subject will certainly fail, which will lead him to doubt his faith, which will lead him to depression and failure. And if we are lucky, the subject will never recover, will do something stupid, or just give up. In any event, we win. But lastly, I want you to make sure we pay close attention to the Christian brothers that this subject now has in his life. These people actually love him and are constantly modeling grace. This is dangerous. I'm afraid the subject may someday get it and learn to recognize and freely accept the grace that has been given by the enemy. We must do whatever we can to prevent this from happening. We need to make his life busy, his toiling difficult, take him away from these people as much as possible, and again make him always think it is about him. It may be difficult, but it is not impossible. Ultimately, what we have in our favor is that Often this subject truly believes if he lives a good Christian life, if he doesn't mess up and follows all the rules, then things will get better. He will overcome the failures and he will have a content and peace in his life. Once again, our lifetime effort of teaching the subject everything but grace has paid off. Just keep diligent and focused on this one. He could be dangerous if we do not keep him neutralized. That was my screw tape letter. Well, I'm no longer neutralized, so the Satan has not won that one. But listen, we got to stay focused on the grace and the mercy of God. There's really no other way. We can toil in our own efforts, and we can fight as hard as we want to fight, but, but, but for the gift of God, we'll never, ever make it. Number two, never compromise the truth. In verse 2 there, it says that Paul says, We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. Basically saying we refuse to compromise. We refuse to compromise. We refuse to change God's word. You know, if you think about compromise there, I think of it in terms of the Christian walk of just staying on the right path. Staying on the right path. You know, if you think about uh, the two stories I described, and one on that island, Chuck Nolan, when he got off of that island, he had to stay very focused and committed to the way to get off. If he was, in, remember, he was in that cave and he had to, only a certain few days of one calendar month where the winds were the right direction to take him out. But he stayed focused on that, didn't veer off of it. These guys in this boat rowing across the ocean, man, they had a plan. They were going to stick to it. They didn't veer away from that plan. They stayed right on it. They knew how long they had to row each day, how much they had to sleep each day, going down this path. And for us, sometimes in the Christian walk, we'll veer off that path. You know, we call that drifting in the Christian church. And it happens all the time for some reason. We, you know, especially in today's world, you start compromising something, right? You start taking shortcuts, you know, and then before you know it, one shortcut becomes another shortcut becomes another shortcut. And before you know it, you're completely out of the will of God. And it just happens, you know, it's just that drift. So we got to stay committed, never compromise, aim high. You know, you can always lower the bar, right? And it makes it easy to get over. But aim high, do not compromise. So, so important to remember in today's world as you're going through your journey. Number three, stay focused on the goal. Stay focused on the goal. Jesus said in 
Acts, what? Go be my witness. You know, Jesus was sent on an assignment, the Bible says, to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10. Well, us too. That's what we're here for. Seek and to save the lost. It's really what sanctification is all about. It's the goal. You becoming more like Christ should have an impact on others becoming more like Christ. Pointing people to Jesus. Just part of it. You know, the goal for Chuck was to get off that island. The goal for these guys was to get to the end. Our goal to be a witness. Help bring people to Christ. So many times, though, we get bogged down, don't we, in the day-to-day minutia of things. We forget the goal. You know, we get focused again on ourselves and those little things that just knock us off. You know, Paul here in verse 6, notice he makes a reference to the creation. He said, let light shine out of darkness. He's talking about Genesis when God spoke light into existence, all right? And he's making a comparison there to Jesus. But look what he says. He says that our hearts to give the light. That's what we're about, giving the light, all right? You've, uh, the Bible in Matthew says what? Uh, we're the light of the world. Not to hide it under a bushel, right? But to get it out. Take that light into the world. You know, Pastor Graham, he always likes to quote Bishop Fulton Sheen. And from when he was a little boy watching uh, an episode where uh, Bishop Sheen said, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. I love that. It's better to light one candle than curse the darkness. We're just called to be a light. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine this week. He's actually a business colleague of mine uh, over in Fort Worth, and he and his wife went through a terrible, terrible situation back a couple of years ago and almost tore them apart. And recently, uh, another couple came into their life that had a similar issue in their lives. And he, you know, his wife is saying, oh, I don't want to talk about it with them. And he's like, no, I think we do. I think God gave us this opportunity. I think that because of what we went through, now we can share it with them. So he called me to see what I thought about it. And I'm like, absolutely you should. God takes you through those things so that you can shine light into other people's lives. Right? That's what it's all about. You know, he's, not, he, he's, he's afraid and she's afraid that people might find out what they're going to have to talk about. And they don't want to share that story. <clears throat> Maybe that's why God took you through it, right? We all got stories. We all got things that we can take and turn into good by sharing it and helping it with others. That's what this whole series that Jairus is talking about. You know, how our story becomes his story. When we share our story, we share his story and our story. You got to go and stay focused on the goal. Be a witness. Shining light out into the world. Number four, we need to be strong. On this journey of sanctification, we need to be strong. It says there in verse 7, he says that to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The power belongs to God and not to us. It's in Him that we get our strength, right? It's not in our own efforts. It's in Him that we get strength. Instead, Paul refers to us as jars of clay. That was a term back in the ancient world that related to human weakness. It's a great reminder, isn't it, of 2 Corinthians 12, 9? God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Because in God's strength, not in our strength, we can do anything. You, know, you can bring on the deserted island, bring on the Atlantic Ocean, we can do it. In fact, Paul, he goes out of his way to prove this to you. He lists all the things he says that we've been through. He says we are afflicted, okay, we are crushed, or we're afflicted, I'm sorry, we're perplexed. We're persecuted, we're struck down, all right, and we've been given over to death. I mean, Paul's constantly telling you all the things that I've been through, but then at the same time, he's saying, listen, even in spite of that, 
Okay, we've not been crushed. We've not been driven to despair. We're not forsaken. We're not destroyed. And twice he says in there, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He says it there in verse uh, 10 and also there in verse 11. What does he mean by that? That the life of Jesus has been manifested in our bodies. It means that we've got the strength of God inside of us. That's what he's talking about there. We're filled with his strength. And in his strength... We can do anything, right? So we got to be strong. And finally, the last thing, and maybe in some respects, one of the more important things, keep your perspective. Keep your perspective. You know, so many times when I am uh, have the privilege to, to counsel people, I can tell you that most always uh, what I try to do is give them some perspective. Is to give them some perspective. And the number one perspective that I usually try to give people is to remind them if they're a Christian, that it's not about them. I've taught this many times, and it's just such a true lesson to learn that it's not about you. It's about others and your witness. Maybe my favorite verse in this entire chapter is verse 12. My favorite verse, it says, So death is at work in us, but life in you. Man, that's good. But death is at work in us, but life in you. What's he saying? It's like, listen, I may be getting beat down and persecuted and going through hell, but you know what? You're going to see Christ in that. I'm dying, but you're being saved through my witness, through what I'm going through. I love that. It's so many examples I could give you, and I've got a, a picture of, of one little girl, little Lizzie. That first one is a picture of the hospital at Christmas. We went to take her some Christmas gifts. And the next one is her mom, Angela. And I think about this young family and her, her dad, Jason, and her siblings. And she's been battling cancer for years and years. And she's always constantly in the, in the hospital. How old is Lizzie now, Aaron? She's six years old. And she's always in the hospital because she's constantly getting infections. But she just has the sweetest spirit. And her mom, man, she's a prayer warrior. She's got a big board in there that's just got Bible verses and prayers. And not just prayers for her and her family, but prayers for others. You know, and I know when the deacon body was visiting them every week, I would read through the deacon notes. And over and over it was again like, I went there to minister to this family and they ministered to me. Over and over again, you saw that in the notes. And they used to have, when you'd go in there, she'd have little bags of candy with Bible verses on it that she'd pass out to people that came into the room. Just going through the most miserable hell that you could imagine, just battling, literally not even knowing if she would make it another day, another week. Every breath is just such a gift to them. But yet in the midst of this, all she could think about was others. I'd go visit with them. She'd never even let me talk about them. It was always about me and my family and what's going on in the church and her Bible fellowship class. Always about others. Just modeling Christ. Just amazing perspective. You know, keeping things in perspective. It's not about you. I was also reading today. You can take that down, Spencer. I was reading today a, a, an article by Ryan Leaf. You remember Ryan Leaf, the football player? Tragic story. You know, great talent, could have been so much and just uh, ended up addicted to drugs and in prison and found himself at the lowest point in his life and 
when you get to the end of this article, and it's similar to the letter that I just read. He was writing a letter to him, himself as a young man to talk to him about the future. He said, the one thing that I regret and the one thing that I've learned in life is that it's not about me. It's about others and what I can do for others. In fact, Paul makes it clear here in verse 15. See what he says there. He says, for it is all for your sake. It's all for you. It's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase the thanksgiving. More and more people can come to know Christ to the glory of God. It's just not about us. Keeping that perspective is so vitally important to your walk. Because what Satan wants to do, boys, he just wants, he wants to trap you, you know, believing that there is no hope and that, that it's all about you. Because when you believe it's all about you, it breeds selfishness. And selfishness will breed pride. So you got to always tell yourself, it's not about me. It's about God and others. Love God, love others. We have a friend of ours that gave us that on a little plaque that we have in our house. Love God, love others, the end. It's a great reminder. But that's what it's about. It's also to help us with our perspective, Paul says at the end there, remember that this is all temporary. There in verse 17, he says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This journey is just temporary. Okay? Heaven awaits. And I remember in that movie, Castaway, at the end, when he was out there at sea. Remember when he got rescued and the big freighter came up next to him blowing the horn and he was laying on that raft and... And he was half dead, full of exhaustion. I mean, listen, the journey of sanctification isn't always supposed to just kind of be happy and cheery. I hate to say that. I mean, there's going to be a lot of good times. God is great. And if you see and live with the joy of God in your heart and understand his goodness and, and, and what the goal of life is, you're going to have some really good times, but you're also going to have some hard times. And when I look at that picture, and I think about that picture of him laying there, that boat, I think about that, that's what it's going to feel like whenever you go to heaven. I mean, that's kind of the way I want it to feel, really. Just giving out with exhaustion because you've served God to your fullest. You've left it all out. Laid it all out there on the line. And then all of a sudden, that horn blows, and we go. It's a good good. Good visual image in my mind and reminds me of Galatians 6, 9. It says, when you're weary of doing good, when you're tired, when you're beat down and you just want to give up, what does it say? At just the right time, God will lift you up. If what? We don't give up. God's going to lift you up at the right time if we don't give up, if we don't lose heart. We want to end with a song called uh, Live Like That. It's by the sidewall prophets. It's got some great words in it. It says, I want to live like that and give it all I have so that everything I say and do points to you. If love is who I am, then this is where I'll stand. Recklessly abandoned, never holding back. I want to live like that. Sometimes I think what will people say of me When I'm only just a memory When I'm home where my soul belongs Was I loved But no one else would show up 
Was I Jesus to the least of us? Was my worship more than just a song? I want to live like that. That's how Paul lived, right? Recklessly abandoned, never holding back. Don't ever forget the goal. Most important, don't forget the goal. Seek and save the lost. Be a witness for Christ. But also, man, remember the mercies of God. Never compromise. Be strong. Be strong and keep perspective. The journey of sanctification is hard, but God is always, always with us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for... These group of believers that are chasing after you, Lord, 
God, I pray on our journey of sanctification, Lord. I pray for your power and your strength and your wisdom, Lord, and I pray for your guidance. I pray, Lord, that whatever in life comes our way, God, we'll remember the mercy, the grace, the love of God. I pray that you'll give us, Lord, the strength to press on no matter the circumstance, Lord. Each and every day, Lord, I pray that we would just see you for your glory and for your goodness. God, I pray your blessings on everybody here, Lord. I pray, God, that you would protect them, Lord, as they leave. And in this week ahead, Lord, I pray, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your love and your Holy Spirit to engulf their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.